gospel according to John, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belonged to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no truth against him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Caught up. There we go. Well, God certainly does work in mysterious ways, I must say. I carried a pack for around 60 miles through some of the toughest terrain I've ever hiked in the Olympic Mountains, and I was fine. I hit a bucket of golf balls on vacation with my family and wake up with my back tweaked like it's never been before. So, how about that, huh? <laughs> Well, that's a small thing in this world for sure, but it's going to bring me to need to sit on a chair here for the sermon today. I hope that's all right with y'all. The suffering servant last week, we had that focus as we're in this kind of middle part of Isaiah, this, this what's called second Isaiah, this words of hope as the people are, are being uh, promised what will be as they come out of exile and even how they will come out of exile. And last week we had this, these suffering servant texts and there was this focus that re, uh, for the redemption uh, of all the exiles for all time and, and how, that, how that frees us from the inside out. This, this God who comes alongside us and suffers with us. The struggles we face are overcome with hope in the one who takes on our suffering, the one who takes on the suffering of the world even. And that has some tangible, like some real world active outcomes in truth, the, the faith struggle of God's people was a really big part of their exile in Babylon. That's where this Isaiah, what Isaiah speaks to, kind of a warning at the beginning and then speaks a word of hope as they're in that exile. And, and the temptation when you're overcome by another nation, by this superpower, by another people even, is to kind of melt into their culture, even melt into their religious practices even in that day, it was kind of the understanding was if one nation conquered you, then their God must be more powerful than your God. So why not worship their God? It's, it's a miracle in my mind that the, the, the faith of the Jewish people survived out of this exile. That wasn't the usual case. Usually those, those kind of religions would just and faith practices would just disappear. So that was the 
That was the temptation, was to melt into it. And so the faith struggle that Pastor Bill alluded to last week in his sermon about this, this kind of sermon series, it was very real. Uh, and I can tell you that in this exile period, so much comes out that we have in our scriptures today. In fact, even the creation story, God speaks and there was light and there was darkness, comes out of this period in the Babylonian exile of, of people trying to understand who is God for us if we've been conquered by another nation. But the draw, the draw in that is to simply kind of assent to the world around you, the power around you, and um, you know that you're confronted by. And that's, that's what's confronted in these servant songs. No, it isn't the power up here. It's the servant down here who suffers that is the one who redeems. Well, today, the God who comes alongside us to redeem that suffering servant, who redeems us kind of from the inside out, also acts in this mighty way to free the people from the outside in as well. In other words, God is working from every aspect of life. However, even this act, that God working in, a, in you know, that kind of micro way with, uh, with the suffering servant, working in more of a macro way through Cyrus, even that act is sort of the opposite of what would be expected. I mean, if I say the word Cyrus, who do you think of? Miley Cyrus, right? Famous singer, maybe her dad, <laughs> right? But King Cyrus was a huge figure, so powerful, so important, that actually this, I was looking, at, looking up a little bit about Cyrus, and the citizens of Iran, uh, you know, kind of modern-day Persia, had a celebration back in the 1970s to commemorate, get this, the 2500th anniversary of his reign. King Cyrus II, the Cyrus that we're talking about here in this, in this word, was so unifying and and powerful that he's still remembered. And here in Isaiah 45, God says, I will use this powerful leader. I will use Cyrus to set my people free. I'm going to work through Cyrus, this foreign king, to send my people home. In fact, if you notice, in the beginning of this, of this, of this word from Isaiah, it says that Cyrus is God's anointed. You know what the word for that is? This will blow your mind. It's Messiah. Now, whoa, wait a second. As Christians, we hear the word Messiah, and that's only ascribed to Jesus, right? Well, there isn't any capitalization in the, in the, in the scriptures, really. But um, So when we think of Messiah, you know, in, in English with a capital M, we're thinking of Jesus, of course, Jesus the Christ. But um, a Messiah, it just means an anointed one or a deliverer. But it's always ascribed to somebody within God's people, you know, we might think of Moses as kind of a Messiah, or certainly King David and King David's household was uh, ascribed that name. You know, when we talk about Jesus from the house and lineage of David, that Messiah, that deliverer, that anointed one kind of comes through. But to have this label put on a foreign king is unreal, and it must have been an incredible shock even to the Jewish people. They would have associated that with David's household. So what's going on here? Is the Davidic covenant, is the, is the promise that God made to keep somebody on David's throne for basically all eternity, is that gone? Is, it, is the throne of David, you know, the, sort of the independent rule of the Jewish people at this time, so far gone that, that, that it's not possible anymore, that they have to rely on a foreign king? I mean, where's Moses in the burning bush? Who's the person from within Israel, from within God's people, who will deliver them? 
Well, I don't know the answer to that. All I can say is this. God works how God works. And I can tell you that the message that I draw from this and kind of on the theme of, of sort of as we're talking about looking God's way as we're, as we're traveling out of exile is, is this, that my head is going to be on a swivel as we come out of exile. It's on a swivel because God can work through any situation and God can work through any power within that situation. In other words, God is the God even of this incredibly powerful leader of the time. Now the norm, again, would be for God to work through God's people or even for God to work against a foreign power. But here God works through a leader that doesn't even acknowledge God. Cyrus is a king kind of like King Julian. You know King Julian from Madagascar? You know, he's very self-important and he loves himself very much, right? That's my terrible King Julian impression. But King Julian, you know, he's like, I am the king of everything. I am so great. I am beautiful. I am the king of this and the king of that. That's kind of how Cyrus was, right? As he conquered Bab Babylon, he's like, well, I'm the king of Babylon and I'm the king of Persia. And as he conquered other areas, he'd say, well, I'm the king of Palestine or I'm the king of this or I'm the king of that. He was pretty full of himself. But it seems that he also had respect for the other nations around him. In fact, uh, it sounds like he would even offer sacrifice to foreign gods as he would conquer a nation. And he would allow, this is really key, he would allow the people to practice their faith in their place and their culture freely. He was their king, he ruled over them, but they could practice their faith. And that's kind of where God comes in to use him to free God's people from Babylon and allow them to go back to Judah, to go back home. God works with a mighty arm on the great problems in our world. Even the setbacks we are facing with COVID, even the shifts in power internationally and, and the political landscape and, and how that's just so kind of tenuous in so many areas of our world, God is at work. I have to tell you, you know, I'm talking about that backpacking trip that, that, I, that I took with some family, and we were out there for six days, and when we went into the wilderness, my chickens were doing fine, and when I came out, they were all sick, and my wife had been taking care of them for five days. It wasn't her choice to get them, but anyway, we've worked it out. We've worked it out. <laughs> but there were much bigger things going on in this world as well. We, we, when we went in, you know, and, and when we came out, it's like, oh, the, you know, the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan, and there's been this terrible earthquake in Haiti, and there are tropical storms looming, and it was just like, whoa, all of a sudden, after being in that beautiful wilderness and swimming in crystal clear streams and fishing in lakes and all this kind of stuff, like the weight of the world just hit us. And I can tell you in that moment, for all of us, we were like, oh, you know, it's going to hell in a handbasket. And then I got home, and I thought, man, I need to get ready for Sunday, and Here's Isaiah 45. I'm the God of everything. I'm the God who works through no matter what the situation might be. I'm the God of the Cyruses in the world. I'm the God of all of it. And it became a word of promise, I know, very personally, and I hope it comes as that word of promise for you as well. Because notice how clear Isaiah makes it that God is at work. God's way is to work through a foreign king, yes. But looking God's way is not looking at Cyrus, but at God. 
You know, it, it struck me that in an, in an increasingly, in this 21st century, in an increasingly kind of secular culture, there seems to be, and maybe I'm just noticing it, I don't know, but there seems to be more religious language pointed at political leaders than there ever has been, in, at least in my lifetime. I don't know if anybody else is noticing this. And it works no matter what side of the aisle you're on. I remember when, uh, when Barack Obama was, was running and even when he was elected, there was a lot of kind of Messiah or faith language that was used around him. And I've certainly seen that kind of, you know, sort of allegiance that goes along with, with Trump as well, even a golden statue that was made at one point kind of a thing. It's interesting to me that as we see ourselves as secularized, we need a place to put our worship and we are putting it on things that are temporal. We're putting it on the Cyruses, not on the God who's working through those Cyruses. I hope that makes sense to you. That's why I think there's, there's sort of a turn that happens in our reading for today. After this long word about how God will use Cyrus, how he'll use this king to set the people free and send them home, then the focus is on a God who is all-powerful, who rules alone in the heavens. God even takes responsibility for the good and the bad in life. I'm the one who creates light and darkness. I'm the one who makes weal and creates woe. There are books written on that, just that, those few little words. Does God create good and evil? Does God create wholeness and brokenness? Does God do, you know? But God says, yeah, I created the world, a world where there is freedom. Freedom not only for human beings, but even for nature itself. A world where there's potential for vaccines and antibiotics. And there's also potential for plagues and infections. There's potential for systems of governments that, that bless people and, and the environment. And there are potential for governments that hurt and oppress. And even, you know, uh, situations where we've seen governments try to annihilate a particular kind of people and creation itself. There is that potential. And God says, yes, I made that world. Now, usually we seem to get a mix of the good and bad, don't we, right? It's never perfect in the human world, for sure. But that's kind of a rabbit hole we could go down for quite a long time. What does this all have to do with us today? I was um, yesterday being kind of laid up while my wife was very busy with the chickens. <laughs> I was trying to do everything I could from laying in bed. But, um, but I, did, I did watch an episode of Loki. Have you, anybody seen this, this show, this new Disney Plus show? And uh, I don't want to get into it because I don't need a miniseries to distract me. But in that, in that movie, or in that show, there's this conversation between these two characters, the Loki character and then kind of the other main character played by Owen Wilson. And Owen Wilson is talking about his reality and, and, you know, it's, it's, and his origin story and all this kind of stuff. And, and Loki says, doesn't that sound kind of ridiculous to you? And Owen Wilson says, well, let's look at your origin story, Loki, right? Let's look at Norse mythology. Doesn't that sound a little ridiculous to you? An ice giant created you and you were adopted by this family and all this kind of stuff. And then Owen Wilson comes to the conclusion. He's like, well, my reality is real for me because I believe it's real. And Loki's like, you know, he basically says, for you, Loki, your reality is real because you believe it's real. Really? Is, is that what we live in? Is God real because we believe in God? Or is, as Jesus stands before Pilate, and Pilate asks that wonderful question, what is truth, is the answer standing before Pilate himself? Is God the truth? Is God the life? 
is God the hope in which we pin our faith and our future? That's the question of this day, isn't it, as we come out of exile? Do we live in a hopeless world where we're just kind of assuaged or made, you know, put at peace, like Pastor Bill said last week, last week just an opiate of the people to, to kind of keep us where we are? Or do we actually, are we actually hoping in something that is real? Are we hoping in a God who has come to us in the flesh? Are we hoping in a God who comes to us in a meal, in a weekly basis, and even a daily basis when we, when we come and remember? Are we, are we praying to a God who is real? That's the question that's offered before us as we go. And I believe we are. I believe we are. We are worshiping a God who works through means we may not understand and may leave us anxious or wondering at the mystery of God. I believe we are, work, we are worshiping a God that has that arc of the future bent towards redemption and life and forgiveness and all the things that we would put our hopes upon. And so what do we do as God's people? I don't know what's going to happen with school this fall, but we're going to show up when one of our schools, and we're going to have a party with them and their students, their families. We're going to be there next week. What are we going to do? We're going to gather our kids back together in Sunday school, and we're going to continue to look at God's word and, and be in, in that word and in, in faith. What are we going to do? We're going to gather if we have to have masks on or masks off, it doesn't matter. We're still worshiping the God of masks, of the masked and the unmasked. We're worshiping the God of all things. What are we going to do? We're going to pray. What did God's people do in their deepest moment of hardship? They heard that promise and they melded together as God's people. They served, they worshiped, they focused in on, on their faith. You see, we are a people who worships a God that when things get bad, we get more hopeful. We serve more. We are in, more encouraged. We find ourselves in worship more and more because we need that word of promise. We need that answer to, to Pilate's question to Jesus, what is truth? It is the God we know in Jesus Christ. Let us be people of hope, people of promise, people who worship a God who is the God of all situations, all time, all place, and all things, even and especially this time. Amen.